are going to be two readings this evening. The first reading is found on page 30, and it's Genesis 28, beginning at verse 10. And then the second reading, if you want to put your finger in it, is on page 1064, and it's John chapter 1. Genesis 28 and beginning at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And we'll turn to John chapter 1 now, and we're going to be reading from verse 35. On page 1064. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. John looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite, in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel. 
Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thanks, Tom, for reading that. Uh, Steve said, uh, we're beginning, uh, we started going through John's Gospel. We're going to be doing that uh, all through this year. Let me just adjust the height of this a little bit. Um, And we began this morning, um, at the beginning of John chapter 1. John introduces us uh, to God. He tells us a little bit about what he's like. He's, He's eternal. He has life in himself, and he gives life to everything else. And he also introduces us to people, tells us a little bit about what we're like. Uh, We're people who ignore God, and we've ended up in the dark about him. But this eternal God has done something. He's come to make himself known and to make a way uh, for us to get to know him again. And he's done that in Jesus. That's a big claim, the beginning of John's gospel. And it is a big claim, isn't it? And then John, you might not have spotted this, but then John gives us a week as he introduces Jesus for the first time to us in his gospel. He gives us a week following him. I don't know if you noticed that. If you've got the Bible open in front of you, if you turn back to John chapter 1 in verse 29 at the bottom right-hand side of the page, John writes this, the next day, and you get if he's saying the next day, the day before it was, there was a day before, that was day one. The next day is day two. And then where our reading began, chapter 1, verse 35, the next day. So that's day 3. And then down in verse 43, the next day again, that's, that's, verse, um, that's day 4. And then if we'd read on to the beginning of chapter uh, 2, you see what it says there. On the third day, that's three days after the fourth day. So that's the seventh day. That's the end of the week. He gives us a little week of events. And chapter 2 is all about a wedding, a, a week following Jesus around that ends with you going to a wedding with him. Next Sunday morning, we'll go to the wedding with Jesus. Come back next Sunday morning, you'll hear about the wedding. Tonight, we're just going to look at days three and four in this first week with Jesus. Let me pray again with that in mind, and we'll come and look at it together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gospel, this good news message about Jesus that tells us about who you are and also will tell us about who we are and those things are important so that we might know how to relate to you properly and to know you properly. Help us as we look at these things to listen and to trust what you say. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. don't know about you, but I love happy endings. Do you like happy endings? Um, I kind of like films that have happy endings to them, especially when it's a relationship. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. I'm sort of a, a balding, middle-aged man. Would I, would I be that soft? I, I am a little bit with those things. And I watched a film the other night, and it wasn't a happy ending. I was a bit fed up with it. It's disappointing in a film, isn't it? It's much worse in real life. And a little while back, I read a story about Sarah Milne. Uh, she was from Glasgow, and she was backpacking in New Zealand. And she was on the beach in Picton in New Zealand, and she saw a young man running by with a dog. And he smiled at her, and she smiled back at him, and then he was gone. And she thought, oh, 
I should have said hello. He could have been really great. Do you know what she did? I don't know what you would have done if it had been me in that kind of situation when I was younger. I'd have just said, well, that's it. Here's what she did. She wrote a note. We got it. Came up. And she wrote a note, and she, she pinned it up in a little fence. And it said, if you can't read it, this is what it says. It says, is this you? You can see the picture of the man running with the dog. Is this you? I was sitting on the grass on Friday. You were playing with your dog. I've got long brown hair and was wearing a black T-shirt. You ran past me and smiled. Would you like to go for a drink slash coffee slash walk? I'm in Wellington just now. My ferry arrives back in Picton on Tuesday. I'm in town for one night only. But let's see how things go. I'll be sitting on the grass, watching the sea from 1 p.m. Maybe you'll run past again. You want to know, don't you? You want to know? Did the mystery man step into the spotlight? Do you want to know? I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) You're disappointed, aren't you? I'm not going to tell you. It's funny, isn't it? It's funny we're like that. You don't even know them. You don't even know them, and you're already thinking, I hope they meet up. (laughs) I hope she finds them. That would be nice, wouldn't it? We're funny like that, aren't we? And look, if you understand, if you understand any of that kind of joy and that kind of happy ending, if you understand that a little bit, even if you're a middle-aged man like me, you can be a bit grumpy, if you can understand any of that kind of joy and that kind of happy ending, you'll have a little bit of a handle on the kind of joy that lies at the heart of John's gospel, this book we're going to be reading through. Because in days three and four of this first week with Jesus that John shows us, one of the things you'll discover is that God wants people to find Jesus. There you go. As we read through those stories, it's one of the things you find. It's not that complicated. There's a story, isn't there, attributed to the Greek mathematician Archimedes. You know the one that getting in getting into his bath, he spotted the water splashing out of the top and realized the mathematical relationship uh, between the water leaving and the size of his body entering. And the story goes that he shouted, Eureka! Eureka! It's just a, it's a little Greek word that means, I found it! I found it! Eureka! That's what it means. And that word pops up all over these two days. The original language it was written in was Greek, and that word pops up all over the place. People keep having Eureka moments. Verse 41, if you got it there in front of you, that we're told the first thing Andrew did after he'd, he'd begun to uh, learn about Jesus was the first thing he did was to Eureka his brother. He found his brother Simon. And then he said to him, what he said to him was, Simon, the Messiah, God's promised Savior and King, Eureka, we found him. In verse 43, Philip you just look down to that. Philip gets found next. Verse 45, Philip finds Nathanael, and he tells them, the one Moses wrote about in the law, Eureka. And you read through this story, and you discover people are having all sorts of little Eureka moments around Jesus, and saying in an excited way, I think we found him. I think we found him. And you might think, well, that's all very well, but you said God wants people to find Jesus. All that's happened here is people finding Jesus. But as you read through the story a bit more closely, you begin to notice all sorts of other details. And and one of them is this. Look, Jesus, Jesus is making himself visible 
verse 36, isn't it? Uh, where, where John is standing there, and we're told Jesus was passing by. And the word is sort of walking around. He's out in public. He's there to be seen like he wants to be spotted. He's walking around, and, and John points him out. That's the next thing, is it? John is, is pointing him out. Verse 36, John the Baptist telling his disciples, look, look, the Lamb of God. Is that a big deal? Well, if you were here this morning, John, the writer of the gospel, told us in chapter 1, verse 6, look, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light. And if that's true, then not only was God putting Jesus on public displays, he's walking around, but he's also sent someone to point him out. And then the third thing is, look, the Old Testament is telling you about Jesus. It's a detail you could almost miss. But did you see what Andrew says to Simon, verse 41? He said this, We have found the Messiah, or in Greek, that's the Christ. And that's a big deal for them. So when you think about the world, the things going on in it, you think about its problems. You think about the hope for possibilities, how things could be. Or when you think about God, is it possible to know him? Is it possible for me to relate to him in a right way? What about the things I've done wrong? What, are, what would God think of me? For these guys, for Andrew and his friends, all these questions would find their answers and their fulfillment in the Messiah, in the Christ. He would make God known. He would make people right with God. He could make people right with God. But how could you hope to find him? Andrew. How would you know? How would you know if it's him? And so you see the slant that John adds in, that Philip adds in verse 45. Do you hear what Philip says to Nathaniel? We have found the one Moses wrote about in the Lord, the, the Christ, and about whom the prophets also wrote. Uh, that's, that's a way of saying the whole of the Old Testament, that Moses and the law, the parts of the Bible he wrote, and the prophets beyond that. And you understand what we're being told. The whole of the Old Testament is it's John's way of saying to us what some of the other gospels let, writers let us know in other ways. The whole of the Old Testament is sort of like a, a giant signpost. One of my friends, Jason, who was visiting this weekend, and I was reminded a number of years ago he was giving a Bible talk at a student event a while back, and there was a young woman who was interested in, in the Bible and faith and checking things out, and at the end of the talk, she was very interested, and she came up to him at the end and said, I've read the whole of the Old Testament, you know, and he said, well, great, that's amazing. Uh, what did you think of it? And she said, it was awful, awful. Why was it awful? And she said, all those endless sacrifices to try and deal with all the things people have done wrong. I thought to myself, what those people need is one sacrifice that would last forever and cover everything. And Jason looked at her and said, I think you should read the New Testament now. And in a sense, she'd, she'd got it right, hadn't she? 
in a way, she'd got the point of the whole of the Old Testament. One of the things it's there to do is to get you ready to spot Jesus. He's the fulfillment of all the things that we're looking for. And if you keep that in mind, get this. If the whole of the Old Testament is in some way telling us what this mysterious figure, what this Messiah is like, why we need him, what he's going to do, and if before he comes, God has someone ready to point him out, and then he arrives and he starts walking around in a public way, not a concept, not an idea, but a real person in time and history, oh, this is someone wanting to be found, the story of the Bible, the purpose of history, the purpose of your life, is for you to have a eureka moment with Jesus Christ. For you to be able to say, if you've not already said it, I think I've found him. I've found him. And when you do, when you do that, you'll discover the reason you have is because God wanted you to find Jesus. That's why you found him. And why is it good for us to know that? Look, if you're a Christian... If you're someone here tonight and you would already call yourself a Christian, being a Christian is not an add-on to your life. It's not come some kind of life enhancement. If you found Jesus, then you found the purpose of history. You found the purpose of life. You're not found an add-on. You found its purpose. And it's encouraging because this says you found him because God wanted you to find him. You've not really been the one searching God out as if you've been doing all the work. No, he's been the one taking all the initiative and making himself findable by you. And you might think, well, look, I'm, I'm here tonight and I don't think I would yet call myself a Christian. Is this good for me to know? What? I think it's helpful for you too. You, you might be here and you're still thinking about God and you might be thinking, look, if God's real, if he is real, why does he make it so hard for me to find him? Why is it so difficult? I've been thinking hard. I've been inquiring. I've still got lots of questions. Why is it so hard? And this gives an answer, as you read through this story, that could feel kind of counterintuitive. Because it's saying to us, if finding God feels difficult, it's not because God is hiding away. No, if we feel in the dark about God, the problem will be with us and not with God. And as you read through John's gospel, he'll tell us more about that. But the solution we're offered here is, look, come and spend time with Jesus. Spend a couple of days. Spend a week looking at him. And the place you'll meet him is all over the story of the Bible. And look, I think it's also helpful to know this when, again, if you're someone who's part of the church family here and you're speaking to someone else about what you believe. And when we do that, we're just following the pattern started by the earliest disciples. Verse 41, Andrew tells Simon. Verse 45, Philip tells Nathaniel. They're just talking to people. And the invitation to family and friends is, look, come and have a look. Come and have a look. And if they do find him, it'll be because that God's even keener to be found by them than you are to introduce them. So those of you who are still at school, maybe you're at school or college, 
when you invite a friend to come along to Grafted and they say, to your surprise, yeah, all right, I'll come. Sounds fun. And they come along and they, they hang out with you for a while at Grafted and they listen to the talk and they start asking you questions. Well, you have that kind of experience. Or those of you at work, when your colleague just corners you out of the blue over coffee and says, you go to church. Why do you do that? It's one of those moments your mind goes blank, doesn't it? I've thought in other situations of loads of answers to questions, and now they've asked me that. I don't know what to say. And you you mumble something out like, "Uh, I don't know. It's just that I'm persuaded that Jesus is who he says he is. And they say, oh, who does he say he is? And the conversation begins to unfold at that point. And with you saying, look, would you like to find out a little bit more? It's encouraging to know, isn't it? It's encouraging to know at that point, God wants them to find Jesus. It's not just you. My goodness, if you thought it was just you having to do it all, you'd give up. You'd never feel you had the energy or the ability to do it. But it's encouraging to know God wants people to find Jesus. Now, at this point, I guess someone could be asking, look, well, why does God want people to find Jesus? There's all sorts of answers we could give. But part of the answer we're given here is because, look, Jesus wants to show us God's plans. See, alongside the eureka moments, there's also lots of come and see moments. They're, they're the kind of phrases that pop up all through this little section. There's lots of, uh, we found him, we found him. And there's lots of, come and see, look. I'll show you, see this. Did you spot them? Verse 36, John says, look. Verse 39, come and see. Verse 46, come and see. Verse 48, I saw you. Verse 50, you will see greater things than these. Verse 51, you will see heaven open. You understand what's going on. We're not, we're not just reading something here. John's written this because he's wanting us to hear those words as well. Look, come and see. You wander about these two days and you find you're being drawn in as well. Come and look, come and see. And whatever you see now, if you keep going, you'll see more later. That's what we're being told. And you think, look, right here at the beginning, now what does Jesus begin to show you? Did you notice when Simon comes? There in verse 42, have a look down to it. Jesus says to him, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated means Peter. It's the word for rock. Somebody said to me this morning, my name's David, and David Todd is my name. Someone just said to me at the service, can I call you DT? <laughs> Nobody's ever called me that before, DT. And so if you want to, it's a funny thing we do. We like to name things, don't we? And we give little nicknames to things. And there's kind of a bit of that going on here, isn't there? A name's been given, a different name. But see, in the context, in first century Palestine, to get someone's identity, you, who, you know what it's like for us. You've got to have your passport and you've got to have your driving license to 
get your ID. In, in first century Palestine, to get someone's identity, the things you'd need were, were their name, whose son they were, and the town they'd come from. Peter, in this passage, were told from Bethsaida. And Jesus has got the other details. He's got his identity. It's a funny little interaction. But it sounds like Jesus is saying, look, Simon, as you come and see me, I already know who you are. I already know you. But more than that, I'm going to give you a new kind of name too. Because I already know what you're going to become. This is what I'll make you. And it's a little indication that God's plans for people who come to know Jesus is that there will be a fundamental change to who they are. See how that works out. And he wants you to see that. If you come to know this Jesus, what he intends for you is there'll be a fundamental change in your identity. And then on with Nathaniel, there's a bit of that going on as well. He's a funny one, Nathaniel, isn't he? His kind of reaction to Jesus. You know Jerusalem's in the south uh, in, in Palestine. It's like London or Cambridge. They didn't like the north. <laughs> Places like Galilee. It'd be like Yorkshire, um, where Nathaniel and Jesus are from. Even in the north, even in the north, there's a pecking order. And Nazareth, where Jesus is from, is bottom of the pile. Nathaniel doesn't even like Nazareth. I mean, it's not like the north sticks together. Nathaniel looked from Bethsaida is looking at Nazareth and thinking, that's terrible. Nazareth, where Jesus is from, is bottom of the pile. And it's a strange thing, isn't it, as you think about the gospel, that when God comes to make himself known, he makes sure his postcode and his accent won't be thought well of. It's a funny thing, isn't it? The highest purpose in history. The highest purpose in history talks funny and comes from a house that will cost less than a beach hut in Southwold. That's what he does. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? When you think about some of the foolish things we pursue as our highest purpose. And you begin to understand why some people don't really find Jesus. Because valuing him will rearrange other things you value. See, if you're going to find Jesus, your pride will take a bashing. So you get Nathaniel. Verse 46, Nazareth? You don't value that. Nazareth, can, can anything good come from there? But... But don't get him wrong, because Nathaniel's not really a snob, I don't think. Jesus doesn't think so. You see what he says about him, verse 47? As Nathaniel comes towards him, Jesus says this, Look, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And I think what Jesus is saying is, look, he's an honest man. Here comes Nathaniel. He's an honest man. He says what he thinks. He doesn't think much of Nazareth. He says what he thinks. But he's not duplicitous. He values being straightforward. And I think Nathaniel's caught off guard because that is what he values. It's an accurate description of him. And so in verse 48, he says, how do you know me? How do you know that's what I'm like? You seem to, you seem to have got a handle on me. How is that? And then Jesus does something. It's a funny little interaction. He does something that shows there's more to him than an accent and a postcode. 
he displays some supernatural knowledge. Philip had gone somewhere else to find Nathanael and then bring him to Jesus. Jesus wouldn't have seen all that. But in verse 48, Jesus demonstrates he already knew where he was. He said, I saw you. You were under the fig tree. How did you know that? But he knows it. And straight-talking, honest Nathaniel knows it's pretty special. He won't pretend it isn't. And he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. I don't know all he understood at that point, but he knows there's something special about Jesus, and Jesus encourages him to keep looking. Verse 50, you will see greater things than that. And then he says, he says these words, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's weird, isn't it? That sounds a weird thing to say until you realize he's alluding to that story from Genesis that we read about Jacob. Jacob had a dream about God. He sees heaven open, the Lord standing there, and angels going up and down between heaven and earth on a ladder. It's a defining moment for Jacob. And if you go back and read that story, Jacob seems to understand that God is if you like, is opening up his heavenly plans to him and promising to be with him. He's being shown something that will help him to keep trusting God. And I think with that little illusion, Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, look, if you come and follow me, Nathaniel, if you come and follow me in this honest way, if you really look, if you come and follow me, I'll show you even more that will help you know what God's plans are and encourage you to trust them. What about you? What about me? Do you want to see what God's plans are? Do you want to get to know them a bit more? Do you want to be encouraged? As you live through your life, do you want to be encouraged that you can trust them? If you're at school and you know your friends laugh at you for going to church, do you want to be encouraged that it's the right thing to do to keep going? You're in the workplace and all the, the difficulties you face. Do you want to be encouraged? Do you want to keep a picture on God's plans? Do you want to see them? Jesus says to you as well, through these words, come and see. Come and see what I'll show you as you read through John's gospel. Sarah Milne put up her sign. There it is again. It's a great sign, isn't it? I'd never be brave enough to do something like that. She put up her sign, and she came back to Picton, to the beach, and she waited to see if she'd find the guy she was looking for. And she wasn't the only one, because a crowd saw the sign, and they all gathered as well. So like half the town came out to see whether he would show up. And he did come. His name is William Chalmers. She found him. And do you know what? They spent a week together, just getting to know each other. John's gospel starts with a week, ends with a wedding. Be nice, wouldn't it? They spent a week together, but then decided the distance between Scotland and New Zealand was just a little bit too far. And so they said goodbye. Because we read through John's gospel this term, this year. We're going to see again that the distance Jesus Christ has traveled 
so that you can find God is much, much further. He's traveled all the way from heaven to the earth and all the way from the earth to the cross. And he's done that so that you can make your home with him forever. John's gospel will tell you about the happy ending we're really looking for. God wants you to find Jesus because Jesus wants to show you God's gracious plans. In a moment, we're going to share bread and wine together as we remember in many ways the culmination of Jesus Christ's journey to the cross. As we get ready to do that, why don't we take a moment just by ourselves quietly to pray and reflect on these things.